Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Spinning Back Click, where each week here at MMA Junkie, we take a spin through the biggest stories in MMA. On this week's docket, Islam Makashev racks up his second title defense out in the desert. Uh, Kamaru Usman won over the crowd. But Shemayev lost his title shot, maybe. Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou will dance this weekend. Who you back in? All right, all this and much, much more. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Gorgeous George. And with me, as always, some of the sharpest MMA minds in the biz. Joining me this week goes from MMA Junkie Radio, also the creator of SBC, his he's in Las Wages. Nolan King up for Best Journalist of the Year at the World MMA Awards. Farah Hanoon, our international superstar reporter. She checks in 48 hours after covering the event live in Abu Dhabi. Cold coffee's on the ones and twos. Let's get to it. So Islam Makhachev defeated Alexander Volkanovsky in the main event at UFC 294 this past weekend. A huge head kick followed by some ground and pound, ended the Aussie's second bid to become a two-division champ. Makashev was brilliant during the short time that he was in the octagon. Is it st- uh, time to start putting some respect on his name, or can one still have reservations about putting him in the combo of the all-time lightweight greats? Look, on the one hand, he's 25-1, and 14-1 and in the UFC, with a 13-fight win streak and finishes in six of his last seven. But he's also only beaten one top five lightweight at the time of the fight, and his two title defenses are versus a featherweight. Is Makashev the real deal, or is the jury still out? All right, we go to Fada for the first take of the week. Yeah, he's the real deal. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, uh, the way his title reign has gone so far is not on him, right? I mean, featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky wanted to move up. They gave him that fight. It was a tough fight. He comes, and in the rematch, you know, puts him away with a, a head kick knockout in the first round. Now, listen, I know Alexander Volkanovsky stepped in on short notice. He did not have a full camp, so kudos to him for doing that. But I almost felt like Makhachev had to do that because if this fight was close, if this rematch was close, you're going to have a lot of people who are going to be like, listen, uh, you know, like he, he, he couldn't be a featherweight on short notice, even though we're talking about the number two pound for pound fighter. So Makachev had to have this type of performance. And that's exactly what he did. He's showing off the striking. We know how good his grappling is. Javier Mendez has always raved about how well-rounded he is as a fighter. And he's starting to show that he knocked down Oliveira before submitting him to claim the vacant title. He stood toe-to-toe with Alexander Volkanovsky throughout that fight. And now he knocks him out with a head kick, just showing us uh, more and more of his repertoire in terms of his striking. Didn't even need to land a takedown to win this fight. So, yes, the way his title defenses have gone haven't really been your typical title reign, but he he's willing to fight anyone. You know, he was willing to fight Benil Dariush. He said, give me Gamrod, Poirier, whoever it is. So uh, he's on the track. I know he, his resume may not look the prettiest to people right now, but in my opinion, he's definitely on track, and I do think he's the real deal. All right, Nolan King, how about you, man? Real deal, or is the jury still out? And and maybe I should point something out, and this might have been my bad here. 
Um, should he even be in the lightweight, you know, talk, I guess, is something else I want to add on to your plate. In terms of the greatest uh, lightweight of all time? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't necessarily go that far yet, but I think we can start having those thoughts that that might be something that, I don't know, after a fight, one, one or two more fights, we might be having conversations about his legacy and, and, and comparing him to the all-time greats. Um, but I think, what, like Farris said, what we've seen so far from him has been uh, beyond impressive. I mean, uh, to, to beat Alexander Volkanovsky decisively like he did on Saturday, to be able to go out there and have an, uh, an all-out war with him in the fight before that. Um, you know, I, I just think, for me, he's showing a lot of dominance in that division. I would like to see, I think when we talk about those legacy, uh, about somebody's legacy, we would like to see consistency, title defenses, fighting the best guys in the division and beating them over and over and over again. So we have really just a small sample size when it comes to the real title sort of elite competition for Islam Makachev. But what, from what we've seen, um, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no way I could say that he's not the real deal. So uh, whether he fights Charles Oliveira next, whether he fights Justin Gaethje next, um, I think that once he starts knocking down more and more contenders or the guys that we think are, are the number one besides him, um, that's when we can start having those conversations. It's just the quality we've seen is there, but we just need the quantity to match up as well. All right, fair. Two uh, real deals. How about you guys? Uh, jury still out or real deal, unanimous? I mean, I, I think it all just comes down to what you consider the real deal. And I think what we're all talking about is just his stature amongst that division. Uh, he definitely warrants your respect. There's no way around that. Uh, but if we're going to start mentioning his name around all the greats, I think we're pretty far from that. And it's because of the title defense. They're both against a featherweight, right? So, look, let's be honest. He's probably going to get there. We're not doubting that. But... It just doesn't hold weight right now amongst this division. And I think that's what everybody's talking about, right? What's he going to look like against some of these other guys? And we need to know that sooner than later. He, he doesn't fight that often. I want to see him fight. I want to see him be challenged. I mean, he was the bigger guy in this fight. He's supposed to win. He's not supposed to win. Just win. He's supposed to go out there and dismantle his opponent. He was able to do that in this fight. So I, I think it's going to come around for Islam Makachev, but uh, – I think when we really know that he's great, it's going to be because he's beating guys like Justin Gaethje, because he's beating a Michael Chandler, a Dustin Poirier, people who have proved to be tough out within that division. I think that's what's going to propel him to being great. All right. Don, go ahead, Fado. Yeah, I just want to add something good. It goes with talking about Islam's activity. They wanted him on that Abu Dhabi card. They wanted him to headline. He was down to fight earlier, but I think for them, he just made, uh, he was a home run in terms of a main event for Abu Dhabi. So I think the activity part isn't entirely uh, his fault, but yeah, I get it. You know, a lot of the talk may be premature, but I just think he deserves credit for just literally being like, give me anybody. He has been willing to fight anybody. Mm hmm. All right, Don Piccolo, shout out to him and Ashcon916. We have a chat that accompanies the show. It's on Facebook or on uh, YouTube, and I try to read them all. The better the comment, the better the question, the more likely it is to be included in the show. Me Diamond 44 says, my biggest takeaway from UFC 294 is that neither Makashev or Shemaev did anything to raise their stock. Both fighting guys from a lower weight class on late notice. Interesting. All right, Joseph Boza says, I think Islam needs to get two or three more title defenses before he can become an all-time great uh fitness ninja says no go talk yet for islam he needs more title defenses brett m disagrees with uh i believe me diamond he says islam did raise the stock hamzat didn't i think we all feel like he is the real deal guys 
And but yeah, it's a little too early for the uh, goat lightweight talk or Mount Rushmore lightweight talk, whatever it is. But he sure is smashing whoever he's facing. So we got to give him props there. All right. How about this? His next opponent. I think two guys, uh, the two guys that are in the running have, you know, compelling arguments. Oliveira, former champ, was scheduled to fight Islam Makashev at UFC 294. Gagey, BMF, and he's a fresh matchup. In which direction uh, do you think he should go? Farah, back to you. It's it's tough for me because, listen, the fight was Oliveira's, and he had to withdraw from a cut. So not, not entirely his fault. Yes, he shouldn't be sparring that hard, yada, yada, yada. But... Uh, at the end of the day, when you look at Charles Oliveira's resume, his recent wins, he's he beat Benil Dariush, snapped his winning streak, the guy that was supposed to fight for the title. And then he has a very recent win over Justin Gaethje, a finish, a very recent win over Dustin Poirier, a finish. So when you look at it like that, it makes sense. My only issue is, is because Islam beat him quite definitively and it wasn't too long ago. Like with the whole Volkanovski rematch, the first fight was closed. Some people thought Volkan, I scored it for Islam, but some people thought Volkan, uh, and then, okay, there were some question marks in terms of the rematch. But for Charles Oliveira, uh, the first fight was pretty dominant. It was kind of... So that's why people didn't have too much of an appetite to see the rematch. And I'll tell you, like, when they announced the Islam and Oliveira main event, there weren't too many people uh, in, in Abu Dhabi, in Dubai, that were too excited about it. When the card got shuffled, the amount of people that asked me for tickets and were like, had we known that the card was going to be like that, we would have showed up to the fight so that kind of speaks to how people probably weren't too excited about the fight simply because of the way uh the first fight went now i would always watch a charles Oliveira fight regardless but um with justin gaethje i get it i mean the win over dustin poirier was extremely impressive to knock him out in that fashion so i'm not against him getting a title fight but it's i guess because they had Oliveira scheduled uh, initially i think it would be a little unfair if they just pushed him to the side all right, and good to know. Next off, Tilbury I might be headed that way. I didn't know Fado was slinging tickets. Put me down for <laughs> ringside. All right, Nolan King, how about you, man? Which way do you lean? Um, it's tough because I, I agree with Fair. I think like seeing a fresh matchup, like I talked about, divisional dominance over time and knocking off all these sort of names and contenders is is pretty big. Um, but at the same time, I, I kind of hate when an injury seemingly like punishes a guy. Like you know, Charles Oliver had that slot, and then he got cut, like a laceration. Not his fault. So for him to kind of like lose out on that opportunity, I, I never necessarily like when that happens. Like we've seen recently with with Drikas Duplessis, kind of that you know the UFC using an injury against him. So I guess really this is going to be sound like a cop out answer, but either way you go, you can't really go wrong. You either get that fresh matchup against, I mean, any Justin Gaethje fight, sign me up for right, or you get the Charles Oliveira fight again. So for me, it's fifty, you know, fifty fifty. If I if I had to lean, I would just say kind of get the Charles thing over with. Um, but I'm not going to complain no matter which road the UFC goes down. However, Nolan, what if Charles wins? Now we got the trilogy. Now Gagey has to wait. You know what I mean? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, that's what happens now in MMA with all these rematches, right? So, um, you know, I, I guess the, the, the issue, in my opinion, the issue has already been established, which is that they booked this rematch to begin with. And now it feels like you kind of have unfinished business when we already saw it once. So, uh, I mean, a trilogy would be nothing new that, that we haven't seen before, right? Mm-hmm. All right, goes all the two. It should be Oliveira's shot, right? I mean, aren't we always championing for what, what should be? But, I mean, these guys make good points. And I think as a fan of the sport, um, and, and not just that, guys, like, 
if you're a champion, I think one thing you do want to avoid are a lot of rematches and immediate rematches. You just had one with Volk. This would be another one. Um, that doesn't do well when people are trying to figure out who you are, what legacy you're going to establish. It kind of slows you down a little bit. So I think the Justin Gaethje fight actually does more for Makhachev. Uh, but in this case, if you want to, if you want to talk about what's right, it was Oliveira's. It just wasn't his because of a cut, so it should be his again. But uh, we see how the UFC sometimes can be swayed, and I have a feeling they will be on this one. I think it'll be just engaging. Good stuff, guys. All right, let's move on. But a quick shout out to Daniel MMA. He says he loves SBC. Keep up the good work. Topic two: Alexander Volkanovsky, gracious in defeat. He went for it, man. He just came up a little short. However, he said something interesting in the post-fight. Let's take a listen right here. You know, I don't want to sit there and obviously make excuses, you know what I mean? So, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in uh, preparation and stuff like that, but, um, you know, I back myself. So that's the decision I made, you know what I mean? Um, you know, there's, a, you know, I probably made uh, decisions... You know, I could have made better decisions in a, but you know, again, like he's not somebody you should be taking a, a short notice with. But uh, I needed it. Again, uh, lo- obviously, a lot of people will say it's for the money and all that. Um, but it, you know, it was it was much more than that. Like you know, what I mean, it, it is hard. Like it really is hard for uh, athletes. Sorry. Um, I never thought I'd struggle with it, but I mean, like, for some reason, when I wasn't fighting or, or in camp, fuck, sorry. I just uh, do my head in, you know what I mean? Uh, I needed a fight. Man, ultimate respect for a guy like Alexander Volkanovsky. We're not here to crap on him, and we're not here to play Monday morning quarterback or anything like that. But he did say something interesting, and that's, you just need that full camp, right, guys, to face someone like Islam Makashev. So a little bit on him because he made the decision and he's owning it. But what about the UFC? They had Mateus Gamrot uh, slotted as the alternate but elected to go with Volkanovsky. So, you know, what did we learn from all this? Should the UFC learn to make these adjustments going forward? Or is the risk worth, worth the reward in the slight chance that the short-notice fighter can pull off the, uh, the upset? All of Michael Bisping against Luke Rockhold completely changed that trajectory of that weight class. And, of course, Bisping's status as an all-time great uh, in our sport. All right, Nolan, let's go to you, man. Lots to unpack there. Yeah, I mean, I think really the the lesson to be learned here is that, I mean, we knew this, right? It wasn't even a lesson to be learned. I mean, we talked about this last week that there was a good chance that if Volkanovski went in there, and he lost, um, you know, that we'd all be saying that he wasn't prepared enough. And he wasn't prepared enough. I mean, he said it. I think it's not an excuse. I think it's just a fact. Um, he was very cautious to make sure that he didn't sound like he was making excuses. Um, but it's just it's just a fact. I mean, you, you prepare for somebody for, you know, intensely for 10 days versus 10 weeks. It's going to make a huge difference. And um, I think that that obviously, regardless of whether or not Islam would have knocked him out with the full camp anyway, it did certainly play some sort of uh, in, in come into some sort of effect with this fight. So. Um, for me, I, I think that there's always a lesson to be learned here. I know the UFC's put in a tough spot when they have to, you know, find an exciting fight for us to not be sitting on here complaining about, right? Um, so they did that. I think we were all very excited for these matchups, um, at least, uh, you know, coming into the fight. So for me, I, I think the promotion, I can't really necessarily fault them. I would say that really the lessons to be learned, um, you know, for some of these fighters to, to kind of jump on these opportunities that might not be, make them the most prepared is, is another story. Um, 
it's just, it, it is what it is. I think now maybe there's at least uh, some stability at featherweight. Like we don't have to keep thinking about Volk going back up. I think that that's kind of tabled from now on. So uh, maybe a mistake, miscalculation on Volk's part, hard to fault him when he had those raw moments that we just heard up there. But um, ultimately it does kind of make you wonder what would have happened if there was a full camp. Couldn't have said it better. I mean, in at home in Perth with a full camp, Still wasn't enough. Close, close fight. I get it. It, it just, it didn't seem like uh, it was a wise decision at the time, and we said it. So again, we're not playing Monday morning quarterback. We're piling on. Goes. Let's tackle this tough topic, man. What do you think? Look, man, I can't hate the UFC here. They, they live in the moment, and then they live to to make mo- uh, to make money in the moment, and then just deal with the consequences later. Right. That's kind of what they do. It's really what it comes down to. It's the fighter. The fighters are the ones that need to learn a lesson right now. And the lesson is this. No matter what happens to you, the UFC is going to replace you with someone else. There is always a new crop of fighters that come in and they blow our minds. And next thing you know, they're selling the pay-per-views. That is going to repeat till the end of time. It keeps happening over and over. So when you start to slow down, when you take these these KOs and all that, they're not going to lose any sleep. They're just going to replace you with a new crop of fighters. I think fighters need to understand that. I understand Volkanovski. I love him. He's one of my favorite fighters. I wish we had more fighters like that. I think in the first fight, really, he was trying to prove a point to everyone. In this fight, it felt more like he was trying to prove prove a point to himself. And I get that. I respect that. But I think you also have to respect what KOs can do to your career. When you suffer a KO, you really, really have to sit back, reassess things. Things are going to change from that point on for a lot of fighters. It doesn't happen to everyone. It's not a death sentence for everyone. But a lot of fighters don't bounce back the way they used to. And that's something that I really think you need to respect. I I felt like after that first fight, even though he lost, it was a win for him. He proved a big point. I didn't really see the point in doing this fight on short notice. Seeing it in the future, I think, would have been a win for everyone. We would have seen him on a full camp. I think he probably would have had a chance to to right that wrong. Uh, But under short notice, you just risk so much. And, you know, this guy is a great fighter. So I'm going to use other examples of fighters who breathe that same air of excellence, right? Anderson Silva, after he was KO'd by Chris Weidman, kind of wasn't the same, guys. Chuck Liddell, after Rashad, not the same. Mike Tyson, when he got knocked out by Buster Douglas, it's not the same. Like, it, it, it really can hurt a fighter's career, and I think you have to really, really put that up here because the UFC's job is to make money, and they're going to continue doing that. And, and at this point, we might all feel like, wow, we missed out on a great matchup that could have been something big later on. And I'm sure the UFC, to a certain extent, feels that too. But they know that a new crop of fighters are going to come along, and they're just going to put on another great card later on. So really the lesson to be learned here is not for the UFC. I think it's for the fighters. Goes, are you absolving the UFC altogether, though? Because remember, we're supposed to see the best against the best. Volk's not even a lightweight. He's a G. I get it. The first fight was a classic. But that's two title defenses in a row where he's just not even facing a, a top guy. They're, you know, they're selling tickets for the lightweight title to be defended against, we're hoping, a great lightweight. And there's some great lightweights out there. I mean, I, I don't know. You want to absolve them completely? I mean, either way, we're still going to be inter- entertained with the next fight, right? Alexander Volkanovsky and, and Taporia, that's going to be a great fight. Islam, with whoever he gets, that's going to be a great fight. And that's what really matters, I think, at the end of the day, is we want to know who the best featherweight is, who the best lightweight is. 
this yeah this crossover stuff like i get it every once in a while it's fun and it does make sense but in this particular right. sense when the divisions aren't cleared out it doesn't make sense yeah, see, I put some of this on the UFC, man, because we don't know he's going to make that Toporia dance in January. He says he he thinks he will. We don't know. Um, that might delay that division. And again, he got that chance in 2023. It was earlier this year. It feels like it was about a year ago, but that chance was already given. I don't know, man. I just I, I put some of this on on the UFC. That fight was a blowout from the beginning. And sure, Abu Dhabi was happy. That's their boy. You know what I'm saying? But at the same mm-hmm. time, like. Ah, that card left me wanting more. It was really a pretty decent card on paper. We had the quick finishes, which I'm not arguing about, the controversy and the feature battle, which I'm not going to get into right now because it's a topic coming up. But just with this, it was like, ah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, but you opened, really your wallet. A- you opened your wallet and you paid for it, right? I did too. That's that's the point of their business. And they're going to keep doing that. Yeah. Luckily, we get to submit that invoice. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, we... <laughs> we uh, should probably move on here. Uh, Hamza Shamayev, Kamaru Usman. It's going to be the opposite of what we just discussed. They had an exciting scrap in the co-main event at UFC 294. In this case, the short notice fight did work out. Heck, it might have even netted Boars a title shot. Or not. Did Shamayev do enough to score that title shot versus Sean Strickland? Goes, we will go back to you. I think the most important word in, in all that is earn. And no, he didn't earn a shot, right? Uh, That's not how you earn title shots. You build streaks in your division. That's how you earn it. But Dana White put them in a position where they could get that title shot. And boy, I just feel like maybe that performance wasn't what you needed to grab on to what was basically a layup, right? Dana White giving you that opportunity. That doesn't happen to very many people. This is such a difficult situation for me. When I talk about Hamzat Shemaev, this is the future of the sport. Guys like that, like, don't get me wrong. The sport is way better with this guy, all right? He's entertaining off camera, or sorry, outside of the cage. Uh, when, he get in, when he gets in there, he fights like a bat out of hell. He's a monster in the cage. It's exactly what you want out of a fighter. But he needs to figure out this cardio issue and how to kind of lay everything out over three rounds and then eventually over five rounds, how to make it work. Because the fighter on the other side of Hamzat Shemaev is scared out of their mind, okay? You have to use that to your advantage, and you have to figure out how to make this work. Is he championship material? Absolutely. And even right now, with the right matchup, he could probably win a belt. But can he hold it? Can he have title defenses? That's what we talk about. When we're talking about pound for pound, right now we're doing the 30 greatest UFC fighters of all time. You know how many times, how many people on this list had a belt? You can win belts in the UFC. It's all about defending them. And right now, does Hamzat Shemaev have what it takes to do that? We're still kind of trying to figure that out, right? The current champion, Sean Strickland, what's what's his bread and butter? His cardio. Right? He doesn't go away. He keeps that same pace for five rounds. Um, if Hamzat can't get that done early, he might be in for a rough time, right? So this is something that I think we have a diamond I think this guy can be great, but if, if he just needs to solve that cardio issue. And I'll tell you this right now. If you were to tell me every fight going forward, he's got that issue solved, I don't think there's a fighter on the planet that's going to beat him. Hmm. All right. Interesting goes. Well, we know rounds two and three are deep water, but, you know, that's eight feet, ten feet. Rounds four and five are, like, down there where the Titanic is. That's where the question lies. Uh, he definitely has to address that. 
All right, Father, let's go to you. What do you think? Did Shamayev do enough to score that title shot, that carrot that Dana White was dangling out there, or not? Well, I mean, Dana White dubbed it as a number one contender fight, which is why it's easy for him to continue the narrative that the winner of Usman and Shamayev was going to get the title shot. But we've got Drikus Duplessis, who was supposed to be uh, the t- next title challenger before he couldn't turn around to fight Adesanya, Strickland won, and everything just flipped over its head. So it's going to be kind of... Uh, tough to just push Dricus Duplessis to the side. Now, listen, I'm, everyone knows how much and, and kind of covering Hamzat Shemaev's career from day one. So I'm very high on Hamzat Shemaev. And I actually rewatched the fight just now before SBC. I don't think it was as bad as people think in terms of his cardio and how much he sold down. When I watched it initially, uh, Cage Side at the Arena, I did kind of think like, ooh, you know, uh, things got interesting. I did score it for Shimai, but I, when I rewatched it and, and saw how he managed to get that takedown, he did kind of attack or try to go for full mount, which is what allowed Usman to explode out. And in the final seconds of the round, they were kind of like rock him, sock him before the fight ended. So, uh, but yes, I agree with Goz. I would have liked to see him in at least one five round fight before putting him in a title fight, just to answer those questions, to see if he could go 25 minutes. He did push a very hard pace with Gilbert Burns. He did look like he was tired. That's what Hamza Chimaev does. He comes right out of the gate storming, as you can see here in the footage. That's what he does. He comes out and he starts off super strong. He does that in every one of his fights. He either gets to the finish or he doesn't, like he did not against Burns or and like he did not against Usman. But uh, I think he is extremely talented. I think he will become a UFC champion, but um, it's just a little bit hard, as much as I love Hamzat, to just ignore that Drikas Duplessis uh, is out there. Uh, he did beat Robert Whitaker. He did look very impressive doing it. He is on a nice winning streak. He has been a middleweight in his throughout his whole UFC career, so it's hard to ignore that Drikas Duplessis is out there, but I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be mad if Shemaev gets it, but yeah, it's just you can't just ignore Drikas Duplessis. Strong takes from Farah Hanun, our international superstar reporter. In fact, she's got a fan in the chat. Frozen like Elsa says, Farah is carrying the MMA junkie group today. She's the GOAT. So Nolan and Goes, cold coffee, we got to pick it up, man. She's carrying us. But he also says Hamzat and Cannoneer make sense. They're both healing. They should come back and fight each other. I just want to point out, I'm not playing gotcha here. Cannoneer already has a fight booked against Roma Delice, so it looks like it's a one. Oh, no. Uh, because Cannonier came out and did an interview with Submission Radio, and he revealed that actually he was the initial call to fight uh, uh, Hamza Shimaev. But one hour later, he tore his MCL when he was deciding with his coaches, mm-hmm. like, should we get that done or not? He said he was going to say yes, tore his MCL, so he's out. He's out of the Roman Dolice fight. Uh, mm. So, yeah, I don't know how long he's going to be out. He said he has it scheduled for surgery on Thursday, I believe. Okay, so Drikas Duplessis is kind of either him or they go with Hamzad. It's it's a, it's that two horse race, right? It sounds like Basically. good stuff. All right, thanks thanks for uh, letting us know. I did not know that one. Uh, let's see here, who else is left? Did did we go to Nolan for his take? How, how about you, man? Shemayev or go in another direction? Did he do enough? We'll get to the scores in just a second, but he was ruled the winner, so let's just address it as him the winner. Did he do enough? Did he hold up his end of the bargain? Yeah, I mean, Dana White said the winner of that fight will get a title shot. So I think when Dana usually says those sort of things, that means that's what's going to happen, whether you like it, whether you don't. Um, And maybe that's why the UFC doesn't sometimes make those declarations before the fight, right? Even some of these layup sort of number one title contender, uh, title eliminator sort of 
um, fights that happen. Sometimes Dana will say, you know, well, we'll see how the fight plays out. I actually think that that's not a bad method to go with uh, just because when you get in scenarios like this where maybe it wasn't the most impressive performance, it leaves you that room to, to kind of go out the back door and, and get the next guy in line. So for me, um, I think that there's a lot more concerns coming out of this fight that I have about Hamza Chemaev than I had coming in, which is a weird, a kind of a weird thing considering he went out there and beat one of the greatest welterweights of all time. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to have to fix that cardio. I mean, really, if, if Sean Strickland is able to survive that opening, that kind of that first round, maybe round and a half, you got to think that, you know, Chemayev's gas tank needs to be better than it was for sure on Saturday for him to, 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 to win three of those rounds. So, um, I mean, you know, it's an interesting fight. I think he's done enough in that he did the UFC a solid. He stayed on the card. He fought a different opponent. He beat him. Um, he had a very dis- definitive round one. Uh, but at the same time, I think maybe, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not as um, confident in him fighting Sean Strickland as I was a week ago. Okay. Anthony Pizzo says, how about Hamzat versus Sean Strickland at UFC 300, rumored to be in April? One foot out the door says, no way Usman won that. And let's pivot to that, guys. Did you guys even think Shamayev won? I think Fada already gave her answer. She had Shamayev winning. Uh, look, lots to discuss in that regard. Was there a 10-8 in round one? How did you score it? Go ahead, Fada. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll be quick since I already gave a bit of it. Uh, I I think 10-8 is fair. I think most people would say it was fair just because they saw, you know, especially in the first minute, he had him flattened out. It looked pretty bad for Kamara. But kudos to Kamara for staying super calm. I mean, that's showing championship medal. That's experience for you because he stayed totally calm. And and it's extremely impressive how Hamza got Kamara down, considering that Kamara's got 97% takedown defense. The way he got him down and controlled him like that is extremely, extremely impressive. And he did... The way I looked at round two was basically the first half, absolutely nothing happened. Hamzat was pressuring, so he controlled the octagon a little bit more. And then Usman landed a nice combination followed by a leg kick. And I'm like, all right, that's Usman's round. But then Hamzat takes him down at the end of the round and has a pretty good firm control on him on the ground as the seconds wind down. So close round, but because of the takedown, I gave it to Shemaev. And then round three, I gave to Usman. Uh, because he did back, back him down with the strikes. He did, you know, you could tell that Hamza was slowing down, but I was impressed that Hamza could get that takedown. Uh, I think if he didn't attack for, I mean, I would I think I would have scored that round for Usman regardless, but I'm saying if, if Hamza didn't attack for a submission, because he had him he had him down, and I don't think Usman was going to get up if he didn't try to transition to full mount, that last image uh, would have left people more convinced that Hamza won. But I think the idea that Usman was able to pop pop out and then they kind of rock him, sock him robots at the end, I think that's what pe- got people like, okay, you know, Hamza, again, did not look invincible, just like he did it in the Gilbert Burns fight. But I think if he just maintained top control for the rest of the round, uh, I think people's opinions would be a lot different about this fight. All right. Goes? How about you, man? You did the watch along with me. Have you had a chance to rewatch, or do you stand firm? I think you were a draw, uh, 28-28 guy, given the 10-8, yeah. and then given Usman the last two? Yeah, I thought it was a draw. Um, but, you know, everything was so close that I'm, I'm okay if you go either way. That The 10-8, I thought, should have been a 10-8. It was right there, right right on the line. And I gave Usman the other two rounds. Very close, though, if, if you give Hamza uh, round two. I don't really hate you for that. Uh, but I do want to want to stress something that maybe I didn't cover the first time, and that's Kamara Usman. In the situation that he was in, 
that guy has got a lot of guts because early on in that fight, there were moments where, you know, sometimes they say fighters in these situations, they just want to pick up that big paycheck. He had every chance to kind of get out of that fight and he didn't take them. He really fought through every moment and showed us just how much, how many, how much guts this guy has, right? A former champion at 170 uh, going up to 185 every chance to get out of that fight and he didn't take it and he took the fight to Hamza and that was so impressive man I know he was hanging his head at the end but uh, you really shouldn't champ I mean that that was a, a great performance and, and to add on to that too it was nice I think to see I think uh, Kamaru's always had the respect from people everybody's always known how good he is but I don't think he's necessarily felt the love so to speak like mm. you know that sort of fan love and I feel like we saw that from beginning to end with this thing like even him saying you know if I had two more rounds, things would have gone differently. Like a lot of times there'll be people that come out and just like put their back up at that stuff, right? Like, oh, that's an excuse, like shut up, like all this stuff. No, like people were, most of the comments I saw in his posts, on the UFC's posts were all pretty positive towards him. You know, I think it's the most amount of love, more love than we've seen sometimes when you would go out there and have those great title defenses. So um, shout out to him for saving the co-main event. I hope the UFC kind of keeps that in mind going forward. And I honestly think, it kind of breathed a little bit of new life into him. I think people are curious, like, what if he had five rounds? You know, what kind of fight would he put up in a title fight? So good for him. I, I hope that, uh, you know, he doesn't take too much time off, but enough to to get a full camp in, to, to heal up from whatever happened on Saturday. And I'm actually excited about Kamaru Usman at, at middleweight uh, going forward. Fada, I know you want to chime in, but I want to put one more on your plate in addition to what you want to say. Let's address the knee, too. The knee injury, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that, uh, the allegations of a knee, because he looked pretty damn well. Did you see that B-roll cold coffee's providing when he's sprawling? I mean, he really was pretty athletic in some moments. Uh, I didn't see much of uh, much of anything that told me there might have been a knee injury. That said, my ears are my ears, and I thought I heard something about a pop. What did, what, what did you hear behind the scenes, and, and what else did you want to chime in? Hopefully I didn't throw off your train of thought there. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say it's the weirdest three-fight losing streak we've seen in a while because the first Edwards fight, or sorry, I should say the second Edwards fight, he was in control, was going to win, gets caught with a head kick. The second, uh, or their trilogy, very close fight. And then this fight, I feel like his, you know, stock in a way went up. So on paper, if you don't really watch the sport properly and you see he's on a three-fight losing streak, you'd think like, this guy's done. But I think, you know, he just showed us why he's so damn good. And I know you didn't specifically ask me this question, but I, I would like to see him probably uh, drop back down to welterweight just because I think he's still that damn good. It's just the the losing streak is a, is a weird one. He's still performing at a very high level. And it seemed like the USC were going to do Bilal and Hamza. So if they're not going to, uh, excuse me, Bilal and Kamaru, if they're not going to give Bilal the title shot, which I think they should, uh, but if they don't, I think they'll probably might be looking at that fight again. But, you know, Kamaru's still damn good. Uh, is what I was trying to say. And in terms of his D, I mean, I was right in front of him at the open workouts. Um, it did seem like he said that, but uh, who knows? I I, I don't want to like kind of speculate and stuff. Obviously, they they turned down all those allegations. They seem pretty upset about people pointing that out, but um, he looked fine in the fight. He sure did. And I think regarding what you said about welterweight, Look, if Colby wins, the door's open, right? And I'm not trying to take anything from Bilal because he definitely deserves his title shot at some point. But right now, the doors are completely shut because he's 0-2 against uh, Edwards, but he's 2-0 against Colby Covington. And those are great fights, by the way. So I think he's got uh, a lot of opportunities out there, whether at welterweight 
or at middleweight. Um, but yeah, man, respect to Usman taking the fight on short notice, fighting the way he did. I agree. If it gets into four and five, I, I would put my live wagering money on Usman at that point. I don't think he's making an excuse uh, at all. It, the tide was definitely turning there. Uh, all right. Good stuff, guys. You guys covered that exceptionally. Shenanigans were at foot at UFC 294. Multiple fouls were present throughout the card, killing momentum of some of the fights. Things got weird when the ringside doctor tried to tell Victor Henry, who was writhing in pain, that he did not get hit in the groin. The same doctor nearly caused the brawl when he nearly, uh, sorry, when he quickly called for the stoppage of the Johnny Walker Magomed Ankalaya fight after asking the Brazilian, quote, what country are you in? After he was kneed in the head illegally. Not to mention multiple fighters revealed they had staff, which incidentally was the culprit that forced Paulo Costa out of the main, uh, the co-main event. What was up with that doctor? What was up with the fighters and the staff infections? Fada, it's your your call. I mean, it's this. It, I talked about this on MB, uh, SBC a, a couple weeks ago. It's just take your time. So he asked Johnny Walker, like, "Where are you?" And Johnny Walker responded, "The desert," which technically isn't incorrect, but it's not. It's not exactly the answer he was looking for. But why are you rushing so quickly? Give him time. Uh, you could see the referee talking to him, and he said, "You know, he he didn't like his answer, and he called the fight off." Johnny Walker wasn't happy. A brawl ensued and kind of like a chaos ensued and it was pretty crazy. But just give it time. Give him time to heal. Uh, don't rush into decisions. So I think that's I, – I know like some fighters could be concussed and I know the doctors have to make a call. But just give it a little bit of time. I think that's the issue I had with this one. Uh, I mean it's hard to tell. You can't hear the commentary. You don't know when you're there what's going on. But it just seemed like boom, right away it fights off and it's like what is happening? The knee landed clean. It was illegal, and Kalaev should have known better. But in a situation like that, wouldn't it be a disqualification? So I'm a little surprised that it was a no contest. Is it because Walker wanted to continue, but it's the doctor that stopped it? It's weird, but it was a pretty blatantly illegal knee. It wasn't like uh, Walker's uh, leg was going up and down. It wasn't kind of like the Elliot Mokayev where every time Mokai was going up and down, so Elliot was trying to time the knee. This was pretty blatantly uh, illegal. So just a weird, weird situation. Just give him more time. That won't harm. There's They get time to recover anyway, so I, that's what I didn't like. It's just you got to wait and see, have more discussions, talk to Johnny a little bit, give him 30 more seconds and ask him again where he is. Just don't make the call right away. So that I didn't like. Right, yeah. And you know Dan Mojavetti's a respected referee, but his handling was brought into question. I heard John McCarthy's comments, too. I think the referee should have been a part of the discussion along with the doctor, kind of intervening and guiding the discussion because the doctor's experience with what? Health and safety. He's thinking that. He's looking for concussion symptoms. But at the same time, the referee knows that a either a slightly concussed fighter, partially concussed fighter, or maybe he's not concussed at all, uh, can continue. Uh, Walker maybe a victim of him of himself like producer cold coffee was you know talking in the in the pregame he's always goofing he's always goofing and at that point it's time for straight answers right guys uh just like if a cop pulls you over that's not the time to goof around recite the alphabet stand on one leg whatever it is and then get 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 your butt back in the car and go home but uh that's johnny walker too maybe some of this lies on him all right uh next up here is we go to nolan uh, your thoughts here yeah, to just to kind of build off of what Farris said, um, 
the, the ABC implemented a rule this past year about uh, when it came to low blows, right, that the fighter gets five minutes to recover um, from that, uh, or eye pokes, I mean, whatever. They're, basically, the ABC, one of the focuses of their uh, conference this past year when they were talking about rule changes was the fact that they felt that the conversations between the doctors uh, and the fighters and the referees were too rushed. There was too much of an onus to, to make a decision right then and there, right? Um, to, to not really figure out what the issue is. I think one of the other rule changes they made was uh, letting the fighter use a cloth to wipe off his eye. You know, the part of it is trying to figure out, is this guy good enough to continue versus we got to, you know, shit or get off the pot. We got to figure this out right now. We, you know, we need to make a decision right now, right now, right now. So I felt like that was kind of what was going on here, right? Like the doctor came in to do his assessment um, and then there was a language barrier. I mean, to a certain degree, I know Johnny can speak a little bit of English. Um, you know, what country are you in is not necessarily the hardest question of all time. It's not, you know, spell xylophone backwards, but it is uh, somewhere <laughs> when you're when you're in the Middle East and in Abu Dhabi trying to figure out, you know, what country you're in can be something that should be, you know, have a little bit more back and forth of a conversation. So I think there were a lot of things that went wrong from everybody's perspective here. I think there was it was just poorly handled from the fighter, from the, the doctor, for sure. The referee, um, not the finest moment in UFC history in terms of a card, in terms of regulation. Um, I think that uh, there's definitely a lot of things that UFC can go back and look at or, you know, whatever regulatory body was here. I believe, the, you know, the UFC kind of self-regulates over there, but I think they were using the United Arab Emirates MMA Federation, which does amateur fights over there, um, or at least that's what the referees had on their, their shirts there. So... I just the kind of a, a weird card all around with the staff infections, like you said, all sorts of fouls, hair pulling, cage pulling, groin shots. Um, not the finest moment when it comes to regulation in, in UFC history. Let me call it 20 second timeout here real fast. Nolan and goes, I will let you out of the mustache bet. If goes can spell Joanna's last name forward, and Nolan can spell her last name backwards. Yeah, mustache, but. There's no way. I, I can spell her first name backwards. <laughs> I think. Bro, I, I hope to God I never get pulled over by Nolan. I don't even know I could spell xylophone forwards, let alone backwards. Exactly. That, that was that funny. That was hilarious. All right, goes continue, man. What did you think of all this madness that took place uh, in Abu Dhabi? Some of it on the commission, some of it on Walker, some of it on the ref. What's up? You know, it's an odd situation because it, it has one of those feelings where instead of really pointing this way or that way, who's wrong, who's right, it feels like one of those situations that let's just put that aside and figure out how we can make it so that this doesn't happen again. We had one of these incidents about a month ago because um, I get it. Look, he's not answering the questions properly. Yes, you are in a desert. But I mean, at that point, if I say I'm on Earth, am I right? Like, I mean, come on. We, we can't really get away with that. And it's a pretty straightforward answer. Um, the, the, the job the job of the doctor is not to make everybody happy. It's, it's fighter safety. So I kind of get where he's coming from. But as fight fans, the eye test tells us Johnny Walker was probably good to go. Uh, I think a lot of us could say that. And there's a lot to what Kenny said, you know, before the show started, that Johnny Walker and his demeanor as well, like, Sometimes maybe that can get you in trouble, but who knows how much of that is just being silly and how much of that is trying to milk something to get a, a foul, you know, to get a, 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 a harsher penalty. You know, maybe that backfired, right? So to me, maybe like a more appropriate question would be, who is your opponent, right? You gotta know that. 
who is your opponent? Or uh, true or false, how many fingers am I holding up? That, that sort of thing. Maybe that's a way we can get around this later on in the future. But uh, I kind of see both sides. But at the same time, we just need to figure out how to make it so that this doesn't happen again. Oh, and the staff yeah. infection, by the way, that that uh, I don't know that that all falls on the doctor. You know, that that's there's a lot of people that like I'm telling you, even the fighters themselves, if, if you that's have any, nasty, man. any doubt what you're really doing is serious and you're really putting on yeah. a lot of I mean, people. we saw like in Nevada this uh, last year, right? With the Lear Latifi, he got up there after the fight and said, you know, I had a hundred and whatever degree fever. I have this nasty staph infection on my foot that I've been battling forever. And he got suspended for that. You know, they actually, I believe they ended up putting in like a hard rule. Like the commission rules in Nevada or really any ABC commission are always like, there's rules, but then there's like also you know, the commission can act however they deem fit. So they, they can always figure things out as they go along. They have the language in there to do that. So they suspended him for, for essentially falsifying medicals or whatever. But then they ended up putting in, I believe, wording about fighters who knowingly compete with a infectious disease. So uh, it's something that's taken seriously here. Again, when I'm not really sure exactly what the oversight is when it go, comes to the UFC regulating overseas. Like I know Bellator uses Mohegan Sun. They use... Mike Mazzulli, who's the ABC head, um, when they go over there, like I said, it seems like they had a group doing it that they had hired that does fights over there. Maybe Farah, I don't know how much, if you know anything about the UAE MMA Federation, but um, it seems like they may, might put on pro fights or regulate pro fights over there too. Um, but that would be, like, basically what I'm trying to say is that here, if that was here in one of the states, that would be taken seriously enough that I think both those fighters would be facing suspensions. She definitely should, man. Like I say, that's pretty nasty. And to admit it was, like Dana said, unnecessary at that point. You know, it's almost like you got away with one. Why throw that in there? Um, I don't know. One, By the way, 1.412 is doing a set in the comments here. He's saying, where are you? I'm in the Milky Way. He's not wrong. And then he says, the real question the doc should have asked Johnny Walker is, did you, in fact, attack Anthony Smith's family? So he's got me cracking up. Goes, how about if referee Bryce Mitchell asked you, is the earth flat? How would you answer him if you were the fighter in Johnny Walker's position? I think I'd just turn around and walk out. <laughs> yeah, man, this is nuts. Uh, when, when, what, went out, what went on out there? I guess one thing we didn't address was the dis- could he have been disqualified or not because it ended in a no contest. So grounded opponent, we have no doubt about that. When I watched it, I thought it was as egregious as hell. And again, a shout out to Cole Coffee. He said, take a look at another angle where you can see that maybe he was trying to blast him in the chest and just happened to c- catch him in the head. You know, otherwise, uh, uh, he did catch him in the head, I guess is the point. Um, why wasn't he disqualified? I'm trying to get to the bottom of that because it, it was intentional. That's where the knee went. He was grounded, and I don't understand why it wasn't. Now, somebody was pointing out in the chat. Again, I'll see if I can find him the name, give him a, chat, a shout out. But remember the Peter Yan, Peter Yan fight. You know, he got disqualified. He lost his title. Now, I think that one went through more steps of the referee communicating to the fighter what he was about to do in this fight. That didn't happen. But what, what were your guys' thoughts on that? Have you guys heard any clarification on why no DQ? Anybody? I thought it should have been a DQ. Um, mm-hmm. To me, intention has to play a lot, not with I'm aiming for the head, but also the situation. Like there was just no doubt that he was a grounded opponent. And if even if you are going for the chest, 
Well, that's the risk that you're taking, right? We all know that that's a risk and some fighters tend to not to avoid that risk, right? Because they don't want to be in that situation. So um, I, I felt like it should have been a disqualification, but you know, it sucks. I don't see why we can't do this one again though. I'd like to see it. Yeah. Again. I think there's just too much like psychology that comes into like the referee's supposed to interpret what is intentional and what isn't. And it's like, that rule, even that language is kind of weird, right? Because, like, he intentionally threw a knee. It wasn't like, you know, Johnny was diving for a takedown and Magomed was throwing a kick and it hit him in the head or something. So I really think when it comes to the intent, they look at, like, was he trying to hit him in the head? Was Did he know that Walker was a grounded opponent? Stuff like that. And I feel like that language is too much of a gray area, um, especially when it comes to all these weird scenarios where every – there's no cookie cutter sort of foul that happens. It's a lot of these are, um, you know, kind of kind of weird, unique situations. But at the same time, I think that that just puts too much onus on the referee to read somebody's mind. And I mean, who's who's going to tell the referee that he's right or wrong? That that you know, Ankalaev knew that Walker was down. I think that is where it gets really messy. And and for me, uh, I think maybe that language needs to be revisited at the next ABC conference. Fada, you were there at the arena. Just how testy was the situation getting? Dana White went in there, obviously, to kind of try and sort things out because uh, Walker, at first, just couldn't be calmed down, you know, and both of these fighters are starting to get in each other's faces. And as has been pointed out jokingly, you know, we had a fan attack, attack Paulo Costa. Um, what were you, I guess, feeling in that arena at that time? Yeah, I mean, it, it was super chaotic until Dana White jumped in. It felt like when the principal comes to, to yell at you, uh, that's when Johnny Walker kind of stopped and, and, and calmed down. But before that, I think he was just losing his mind and wanting to continue to fight and whatnot. So I'd love to hear from Ankalaev if if you were, he's probably going to do it with uh, Russian media or something, but I'd love to hear his, his viewpoint on, on the knee. Now, he didn't quite put his hand up like Peter Jan did when the, when the decision was being called, but... Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think it was, uh, it probably should have been a disqualification. You just have to be consistent with the rule. But it goes back to what I was saying. Time solves everything. Just wait. We don't know what could have happened. Fight probably would have gone on. Uh, maybe if if the doctor tried asking Johnny Walker 30, 40 seconds later again where he was, and if he did give them another answer he didn't like, then I think it would have been more fair to say, well, you know, we gave him a couple of opportunities. I think just them rushing uh, to a conclusion is what caused all of this. And it probably would have been avoided, maybe not entirely, but probably would have been avoided to some degree. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. It was pretty crazy. It was unfortunate. And I agree with both goes and Nolan. I think they should rebook the fight. Yeah, me too. Uh, it, it was unfolding really, really interesting. I mean, we all talked about uncle. I, I, just how potent his wrestling is. And obviously we know he's got some striking, but man, Walker landed some nice inside calf kicks that you could tell were affecting Ankalaev early. So, and, and he was starting to get up from a takedown. So you know how it is for a lot of grapplers. Sometimes that first test is keeping them down. And if they can get up, you can always see in the body language. Okay. That didn't go the way it did. We were just robbed, man. We were robbed. And again, I think some of this does go on the ref. I think he could have participated a little bit more, communicated with the doctor. Like Bada said, some patience, some calm. Let's sort this thing out. Didn't happen, man. But I'm with you guys. Let's rebook it. Uh, UFC 296 sounds good to me in Las Vegas. All right. Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou, they have a fight this weekend. Here's the tale of the tape. Don't laugh, all right? Fury, 33-0-1, 24 KOs. Ngannou, 0-0-0. Fury, 6'9". 
and Gane is six foot four. Nah, don't pay that as much of attention to that. 35 years of age for Fury, 37 for Nganu, 85 inch reach for Fury, uh, 83 inches for Nganu. But again, quite a disparity in boxing. It's a proper professional matchup. It's not an exhibition. 10 rounds, uh, proper ring size, 80 bucks if you want to order it. Fury's title is not on the line, but they've come up with a belt. Uh, Riyadh champion, I believe they're calling it, for the winner. And, of course, the title of the unofficial title of Baddest Man on the Planet. What are your expectations going into this fight? Nolan, let's start with you. I don't really have many expectations uh, other than I think that we're going to see once again that boxers are good at boxing and MMA fighters are not as good at boxing as boxers are. Um, For me, I think this is a fun thing. I think this is something that's outside the box. I think this is something that those are the sort of things that I always root for when it comes to combat sports because at the end of the day, This is supposed to be entertainment for the rest of us. Um, At the same time, does this check all the boxes where, you know, the night before this fight, I'm not going to be able to sleep? I don't think so. I think that (laughs) I feel like I know how it's going to play out, um, which is part of the problem. I think even if we get closer and we get towards the the square off and we see them, you know, come face to face and, you know, tomorrow, one more sleep tomorrow night, tomorrow during the day, we're going to see these two square off. Um, I don't necessarily think my brain's going to do the thing that it's done in the past where I feel kind of tricked or I'm starting to get tricked about what if or what if Francis lands a punch. I mean, that sort of thing always exists. That sort of risk always exists no matter who's getting in the cage. So it is inherently there. But I just think for me, um, I, I don't necessarily – it doesn't necessarily check all the boxes where I'm super duper over the moon about it. But it'll be fun. I'm not trying to be the, the Debbie Downer here. Um, it's not very often we see, you know, uh, the consensus greatest uh, – current boxing heavyweight champion fight uh you know either the greatest heavyweight mma champ at the moment or one of two of the greatest so um it'll be fun i think at the end of the day it'll be something that it goes down in combat sports history as a bit of an anomaly and um again a nice a nice card on in the day i'll take those every day not having to stay up till you know 2 a.m to watch that Mm -hmm. goes your expectations well, man, here's what I could tell you. I, obviously, I'm not a, a big fan of these crossovers because what Nolan said, it doesn't really solve very much. Uh, but this one is unique in the sense that it is the baddest man on the planet in boxing versus the baddest man on the planet in MMA. And I don't know that we will ever see that ever again. That's just something that's pretty unique to this fight. And to that point, I think they've done a tremendous job in selling the fight. I think the trailer was phenomenal. I don't know if you guys watched that. The smack talk has been okay, right? Um, But we all have a decision to make on Saturday. And that decision is, do you want to be the one that missed out, right? If you're going through social media or whatever, and you find out that something crazy did happen, do you want to be the one to miss out? And I I don't. I'm going to watch it. Um, Look, there is still a lot on the line here. Like Tyson Fury, you got to defend that home court. I'm not saying you need to knock Francis Ngannou out in round one. But you got to finish them. That's your home court. And I'd be saying the same thing about Francis Ngannou. This fight took place in an octagon. That's just what has to, to happen. Um, but it's an interesting storyline. And I, I think they've done enough to kind of get our attention. And even outside of that, the storylines of this is a guy that walked away from, from the UFC. And a lot of people said, you shouldn't have done that. You're missing out on a lot. And he's about, he's on the verge of cashing a massive paycheck so what does that say, right? There's a lot of little storylines involved in this. I, I'm going to tune in. I just don't want to miss out, guys. Anthony Pizzo in the chat says, title not on the line, ridiculous. 
Michael uh, Fadahunsi says, easy work for Fury, and Ghana will gas out in round four. Fada, how about you? What are your expectations? Zero. Uh, but I think that's what makes it better for me, right? Because whatever happens, it's probably going to surpass my zero expectations. But I think the narrative here is that uh, Francis Ngannou has already won just by getting this fight. Uh, he gets the massive paycheck and he gets his dream of boxing. I mean, anyone who's followed Francis Ngannou's career or spoken to him knows he's talked about boxing for a very, very long time. I even remember speaking to him years ago where he said he wanted to box Tyson Fury. And a lot of people laughed at not only the possibility, but at me even asking that question. I think a lot of I got a lot of heat by pundits and people like, why are you even asking him about Tyson Fury? And look where we are now. So the reason I asked him is because I know boxing has been a big dream of his for a very long time. So, you know, Francis wanted to go into boxing before he was advised to go into MMA. But obviously, I didn't expect it to be like that, to be thrown against uh, Tyson Fury in this type of boxing match. Uh, but, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I think it's a matter that the storylines are, are going to depend on how the fight goes. If Francis Ngannou goes out there, has any kind of success, lands, uh, puts up uh, kind of like what we saw with Mayweather and McGregor, then I think, you know, his, his stock will go up and, and a lot of people would are going to talk about it. But if he goes out there, doesn't land anything, gases out and gets finished, then you know the criticism is going to come and people are going to criticize his decision to leave the UFC, especially that the John Jones fight was on the table. So it's all going to depend on how he performs. Uh, do I expect him to win? No. Does anyone expect him to win? No. But if he goes out there and puts some sort of respectable showing and has some sort of success, whatever we define success by, then I think his stock goes up and then he'll go on and see what he'll do with PFL. But if he goes out there and just doesn't land at all, uh, gets finished really quickly or gases out, then I think you can expect a lot of people to pile on him. But, I, you know, at the end of the day, he did what he wanted, right? This is what he wanted. He got what he wanted. A lot of people didn't think he could get it, and he did. So kudos to him for, I guess, chasing after what he wanted. Yeah, for sure. All right. Frozen, like Elsa says, I just want Fury to get KO'd for disrespecting Usyk and mm -hmm. for Dana doing Francis dirty. Um, Anthony Pizzo says, do we think Francis has zero chance? No, I think we've probably all given him, what, 5%, 1%, something. I will say this. McGregor landed one significant punch. He landed a few punches, but one significant. I think it was like early in the fight, round four. It was his uppercut, and Mayweather ate it. But I'm telling you, Francis landed something like that. You saw what he did when he landed that uppercut on Alistair Overeem. This is a whole other animal when we are talking about heavyweights. So that's why I kind of give him a 5% chance. But To, to um, be fair, though, remember what Deontay Wilder did to Tyson Fury? And he yeah. sat up like the Undertaker. So even if he does land that shot, it's not to say that it's a kill shot. That that dude, Tyson Fury is something else, man. He sure is. I can sneak one more quick one, but you guys got to be quick. The UFC, all right, they're out there talking to some of these fighters from Bellator. We don't know what the situation is, but we do know that Michael Venom Page is a free agent. Dylan Dennis was just recently released. We'll start with Nolan. Nolan, real quick, should they sign Dennis, Page, both, or neither? Um, Page, not Dennis. Dennis, too much money, too much of an unknown, and I think we need to see him actually uh, fight a little bit before. UFC gets invested. Goes, Dennis, Page, both or neither? Sign uh, Venom Page. Ooh, okay. Fada, Dennis, Page, both or neither? I agree with both of them. Uh, sign MVP, uh, don't sign Dennis. Who on earth are you even going to match him up with? He's super popular. Uh, he 
controversial. He's McGregor's boy. Not even one little chance. Put him on contender. Nothing. Well, that's what I mean. Who are you gonna exactly? If he wasn't super popular, you can match him with anybody. But because he's super popular, who do you, look what happened when the? I mean, I'm not gonna compare Dennis to to, to CM Punk. Dennis obviously has a jiu-jitsu background and stuff. But the inactivity, we didn't really get to see him build his career like we wanted to. I know he's been dealing with a lot of injuries, but would have been nice to see him uh, maybe throw him an Ultimate Fighter. How about that? Yeah. You got the entertainment value, <laughs> and then he gets to fight his way into the house. Uh, but then again, is he going to agree to do that? Whereas I'm sure he wants this. Mm-hmm. Great job, guys, on this week's spinning back click. And folks, I held on to this till the end, but check it out. Just a couple quick things. Hit that like button. It really, really helps with the algorithm. I probably should have said it earlier, but a lot of you are watching right now because it's live and it's immediately posted up on our site, on our YouTube page, I should say. Hit the like subscribe there's quality content like this across the whole page i mean these guys killed it for ufc 294 pre and post so i i suggest you subscribe to the channel nolan keen again another, another shout out to him he's up for best journalist at the world mma awards bada hanoon killed it out with mike bond in, in uh, abu dhabi great coverage as well uh i believe abby was with you guys right so no uh, just mike and I. oh just mike okay no but shout out All to abby always Shout out to Bavi, of course. Yes. Um, and lastly, MMA Junkie has been releasing the 30 greatest fighters. We've already been like, I think we're nine or 10 days in. Who who went out today? Was it 22? Shoshenko, 21. Matt Hughes is out today. Check it out, folks. Share it. Like it. Retweet it. Repost it. Converse. There's been a lot of debates because we're doing fighters for the last 30 years. Some of you may not have even heard of some of them. But like Go said, Take a look at th some of those resumes, and the reason they're in this this type of conversation, it's those titles, those title defenses, the things that others just haven't done, and maybe that's why sometimes we lean a little hard on uh, some of these other fighters. I couldn't believe Dana was still saying that Kamaro's the uh, welterweight goat. I thought that was kind of settled when he kind of got stopped, uh, you know, and he four title defenses short of GSP, but it's his opinion. It's subjective. Whatever. Let's get out of here. Great job, guys. We'll see you all next week on Spinning Back Click at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We're here every week and it's live. Share it with all your friends. Take care. See you soon. Go out and be a champion. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.